Hello, Annie Trenders. Welcome to the Girl Taku, hosted by the ladies of Anime Trending. We are back with another fun topic on the table. My name is Gracie, and I'm joined by. Hello, I am Isabel, and this is Agnes. So, without further ado, the Girl Taku today will be about anime that we like but have had some problematic elements or arcs or just. Story parts to it that you know it just kind of hits our mind, even though we ultimately still enjoy the anime for what it is. So I don't know what the other two have picked in this regard. So I'm gonna go ahead and put a content warning just in case it is necessary. If it ends up not being necessary, well, the editor can just take it out. So、um, with that being said, though, Agnes, you are the person who is starting off this episode today, which I know that you said you had a, quite a bit of a list that you went through before you decided on. So I'm really curious to see what you have for us. What are two anime that you have watched that? You ultimately still enjoyed it for what it is, but there were just stuff in there that made you go, "Ah,、uh, not very comfortable." So yeah, right, yeah. So when I originally said that I had a long list, it was more because I was overthinking this topic.、Um, I wasn't usually. I don't pick shows that have a lot of problematic elements in the first place at the beginning, and if they showcase that, like let's say Goblin Slayer. Or some other notable series that have you know these content warning type of things. I do I do not watch it in general. However, there are definitely some shows that fall into that weird exception of I'll still stomach it and watch the rest of the series only because a lot of these elements come at a later part of the story, which helps narrow down quite a number of shows. So the first one that I'm going to talk about that I think is in pretty recent memory, and I think a lot of people might agree with us on this, would be、uh, Ranking of Kings. In、oh, scene, okay, yeah, <laughs> in the scene of King Dida, who suddenly declares that he is in love with Miranjo and decides to marry her, despite Miranjo being a deceitful manipulator and a, a kind, as for lack of better words, kind of a. <laughs> so let's talk about why Ranking of Kings has Miranjo as、uh, an antagonist. You know, in Ranking of Kings, it's a story about Bochi, who is a deaf boy, and he has to go through a lot of trials and tribulations to become the so-called king of his country. In the background, there is a witch who hides in a mirror. Her name is Miranjo, and she kind of manipulates a lot of the behind scenes. Which explains a lot of the backstory of why Boji no longer has a mother, of why Boji's father is incredibly overpowered as a giant, and why Daida is also kind of like in this mess of things as well because he is manipulated by Miranjo and a lot of the magical antics that she brings into the show. However, throughout the series, we didn't really get a sense of the fact that Daida and Miranjo. Were kind of in a weird relationship. Miranjo is also like several hundred years older than Dida. Dida is like thirteen. <laughs> He's <laughs>、so、younger that, than Boji. Keep that in mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Boji is like a kid. He is definitely a kid. Probably anywhere between like five or seven. Dida is probably a little bit older than. No, Dida is even younger than him. Actually, now that I think about it, you're right. And Miranjo is several hundred years old because she actually met Boji's and Dida's biological father, the king, several hundred years back. Because of course, the king is a giant, so they have a very long lifespan. 
So there's that weird age gap there. But I think what a lot of people were really conflicted about was the fact that Miranjo has this arc where she is quote-unquote redeemed by Dida and Dida professes his love for her even though there is no developed screen time anywhere it feels a little bit Stockholm syndrome and also the fact that a lot of the characters even within the show were equally as surprised and shocked that Dida would fall for a woman who has clearly manipulated a lot of the characters in the series to the point that many of them would kill each other. So that's the first one that I wanted to talk about because as we all know despite that Miranjo and Daida romance that pops up at the end of the series, Ranking of Kings is a very, very enjoyable show with a lot of great cinematic and animation shots from the production team at Wit Studio and tells a compelling story about a boy who is disabled, he is deaf and can only speak in sign language and doesn't have a lot of verbal communication skills of how he can overcome a lot of these tribulations, make good friends and people that he can trust and ultimately become the king that he desires. So it's a very wholesome, a very hero's journey type of story that you can all get behind up until the end when you see Dida and Marantra get into a relationship. So that's my, I think, TED Talk for Ranking of Kings. That is such a good pick. It's actually kind of crazy that I didn't think about it until... Oh, good, because I was afraid that you would actually pick this No, (laughs) no, I didn't until you mentioned it. I was like, oh, that is the perfect example because that really came out of left field too like yeah no one was expecting it. everyone was just like yeah miranda gets what she deserves or maybe she'll have like a more quiet pathetic ending like let's say she she's confined like in a, a house arrest you know for the rest of her life and she clearly is apologetic i guess of her actions i guess and so, you know, <laughs> I, I disagree i very much disagree but Regardless, you know, you would think that Miranda would be like put under house arrest, you know, she would live and her life is in a complete atonement. But instead, the writers decide to take a weird spin and turn of having her be forgiven and loved by Dida, which had no kind of premise or backing in any part of the story whatsoever, too. Yeah, that that was such a weird moment. Isabel, did you watch Ray King of Kings? <laughs> no. Ah, uh, okay. I to that part, so that's why I'm not, not too sure. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. gotcha. Because the thing was, is like, I watched Ranking of Kings and I finished it, and I was talking to my coworker who kind of occasionally watches anime, and he sometimes asks me for suggestions, so I told him that he can watch Ranking of Kings. But I also kind of cautioned him, and I said, however, there is a little part in the ending where it's kind of like, nah, so keep an eye on that. I'm not going to tell you, like, what happens or anything, but... Just to keep an open mind, like, don't be super deterred when that ending pops up. And then he came to me to work the next morning. He was like, yeah, I kind of agree with you. And I'm like, okay, good. <laughs> it was really hard because I remember I had watched it first. And yes. you in the prior episode was really good. So, Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The prior episode was really good. So you were really excited about it. And I was like, I'm not sure. <laughs> you know, because I, I didn't want to give anything away. But at the same time, I almost did want to warn you about like, there is something really messed up happening in the next episode. So I, I remember that moment really well. But yeah, I like, ugh, I will never be able to reconcile that particular moment in the series there really was no build-up for it i i honestly the biggest build-up for it is in the opening theme song sequence where he's like yeah that's (laughs) the only hit that you get and you're just like i wonder if dida and maranjo have like a slightly deeper relationship but then you kind of think you're like 
Nah, that doesn't happen. You know, it's an opening. You know, opening sequences aren't supposed to give anything away, right? Usually, at least in anime. I mean, they but do, but at the same time, they're not they're not 100% indicative of what's going to happen. <laughs> very true. Very true. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just like, I, and so I was just like, first of all, this came out of nowhere. Second of all, this is in no way a happy ending because I get the point of where this is going. The, these are obviously a lot of fairy tale tropes and he does a lot of twists with them. You know, we've never heard of a fairy tale of a disabled protagonist ever, ever really in like history. Nope. So, nope. Uh, so that's, so that's a big deal and then there was I guess it's like some spoil but we already went went very far into the anime already but uh this the evil stepmom is not evil at all in fact she's great she's the best character <laughs> so, Queen and then um and so and oh the snake guy is actually great and an awesome guy and so it's just a lot of fairy tale tropes that got a twist turned into it and so I get like, you know, it's supposed to be a happy ending because it's a fairy tale-esque story. But no matter how you try to position that love story is absolutely not a happy ending. You are pairing someone who has been manipulated, used and gaslit, you know, and beaten up at one point too. Remember cuz like uh yep. the spear guy yep. beat him up on her order. So yeah, it's just it's just like I don't I cannot fathom how that is ever considered a happy ending and I'm glad it only like took up a single episode but at the same time I'm like this should have never happened in the first place so yeah. <laughs> okay, well that's an excellent choice. Oh, I did want to ask you about one thing about Ranking of Kings. I feel like some people sure. might point to the fact of oh, there's some uh, there's some questionable, you know, parallels to Japanese nationalism and uh, and how they portrayed, I think, the Homa, was it, as, like, just evil and, like, the background art looks exactly like how uh, Korea had looked before Japan had attempted to colonize it and stuff like that. Uh, what did you think about that? Oh, I absolutely... I definitely agree with the fact that there is some parallels to that Japanese nationalism in the Japanese consciousness in general in both media, books, and it doesn't have to be anime. You can literally go read any piece of Japanese media or textbook and you will see Japanese nationalism right there in your face. Mm -hmm. And as an outsider, especially someone who's not Japanese but had studied Japanese history in college, it is very blatant and very apparent so that being embedded into the japanese consciousness of the general society they don't really think about it and so when they put it inside their media we immediately become very upset because we're like oh they are definitely not aware of what they're doing but here we are with the concept of colonization right there in our face and it may be very triggering especially for those who have family members that unfortunately went through Japanese occupation or have known people who had been tortured or have not deserved any better treatment from under Japanese occupation. So that's a trigger warning for Ranking of Kings in that regard. But um, I guess like I can see why the writer wanted to put something in there, but they should have really been watching themselves a bit more carefully. Yeah, for sure. Especially with how progressive of a story Ranking of Kings is, you know, especially in the Western context of being progressive. I mean, yeah, how many, like I said, how many disabled protagonists have you seen in anime ever? Like, I, you could probably count on your fingers, right? Like, we wouldn't run no, out of fingers. 
Yeah, for the majority of the part, all anime protagonists start off whole, hale, and healthy, right? They never have a scar. They never have, like, they've never lost a limb. The only time that they are disabled is when they, you know, very iconically, you know, lose an eye in their character development. Lose an eye! Right? <laughs> yes. I mean, that that's that's def- that's blindness right there, okay? That's a disability. No, I just, I just thought that... You're very correct in the way you worded it about how specifically lose an eye because you're right. They do love the lose an eye. I mean, thing. L- okay. L- l- how many characters in anime and in video games have lost an eye? We talk about Solid Snake has has an eye patch. Zoro is blind in one eye from One Piece. Um, who is it? I believe Nobara in um, Jujutsu Kaisen. This is spoilers for people who have not caught up with the manga. But in the later half of the manga, she also loses an eye. Oh, she does. Eye. That's spoilers so like, for me. <laughs> this is a bit. This is a very common, you know, Japanese trope of like, you know, the character goes through a character development and loses an eye and therefore is disabled. Mm-hmm. Wow, fantastic. They're such a badass. But very <laughs> rarely do we ever see an actual protagonist from the start actually suffer from disabilities and even more importantly, disabilities that is from birth. Mm-hmm. Like Boji, um, there are definitely a range of disabilities that people have. For instance, people growing up may have certain detriments of slowly losing their hearing or slowly losing their vision. That is very possible. Mm-hmm. And there are very specific diseases that are tied into that. But Boji from the start has always been deaf. He has never been able to hear anything. It was not a progressive disease. And so that in itself is very powerful to people who are disabled, who are, you know, going through such things. They never heard of anything before. They don't have a, they may not have access to hearing aids and stuff. So watching Boji grow into such a competent character and so beloved and so confident is really inspiring for those people who had disabilities from the start. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, yeah, it's complicated. There, it, it could have, you know, been really, really well done. But unfortunately, that is part of the ending and that will forever be existing. So, <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah. yeah. Wit Studios is not going to go back and remake Ranking of Kings. It has enough popularity already that people kind most people, I think, kind of just shuck it into the back of their mind and not yeah i feel like i remember i think like one of the reviewers on like anime news network who's been doing ranking pieces whose reviews i really liked as well like they basically brush it aside because i think there's a part of them that's just like it's it's too much of a can of worms to exactly describe why this is yeah exactly like like i said i'm only focusing on the fact that miranjo as a character as a manipulator is somehow you know, in a relationship with Dido. But there's also that can of worms, like, you know, Miranda's much, Miranda's much older than any yep, of the characters in this yep. series. And that's, no, no, thank you. <laughs> well, let's not talk uh, about that. Man. All right, so if that's your first pick, what do you have for your second one? So my second one that I wanted to pick is from a very recent anime as oh, well. Okay. Um, it is progressive in a lot of ways, more than one, except for, same, similar to Ranking of Kings, a very specific villain. And this is Skate the Infinity. Oh! Oh, man, I wish Jack was on. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, Jack would have probably loved talking about this. I want to say as a whole, I love Skate the Infinity. Mm -hmm. It has such great thematic parallels. It really, like, caters towards the LGBTQ community without being Mm -hmm. queer-baiting. It's very colorful. It's very dynamic. And at one point, I remember the first two episodes I sat there, I was literally shot back into my childhood of watching my friends try skateboarding. And my friends getting excited, you know, buying like skate uh, tech decks, 
where you put it on your fingers and you kind of like let it zoom around like the table that you're sitting at or yeah. something. And I at one point was so almost inspired to like look up and buy a skateboard for myself or continue watching Tony Hawk, you know, on Twitter because he has 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 a recent resurgence on Twitter mm-hmm. to just kind of watch him do tricks and kind of be transported back to my childhood. For all of its greatness for Skate the Infinity, one of the biggest, I think, pullbacks from the series, and for rightful reasons because of how of the way that it's written, is Adam as the as the main villain of the series. And for many people who are LGBTQ, or for people who have been, you know, seeing these types of people like Adam, it may be a bit trigger warning. Uh, t- uh it might be a bit triggering. In this sense, Adam is a manipulator, very similar to Maranjo, but he's also a very, well, to put it very lightly, flamboyant. Very <laughs> flamboyant, but also very touchy feely to the point that it can be categorized as sexual harassment yeah. to many people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And rightfully so, as you're sitting there in the audience and you're looking at Adam, you're like, oh my god, you feel repulsed by the fact, you know, he's coyingly you know tracing his his fingers up the inside of like langa's legs also that he's a grown ass adult and that's a teenage boy so yeah (laughs) exactly yeah um adam is like in his 20s probably early 30s langa is literally 16 and so that whole uh i guess like dynamic is rightfully very disgusting you know when you're watching it for the first time and for a lot of fans they definitely felt repulsed by adam as the villain and then over time you know you see adam he still exhibits a lot of that sexual harassment towards adam and that he also shows that he is a very vicious villain in the way that he skates there is a small part of his arc where you kind of sympathize with Adam because he has this entire traumatic background of who shapes him to be the way that he is and that he has a very twisted mindset that kind of borders between BDSM with his uh, manservant and um, aid in um, in his household. So definitely like Skate the Infinity, a lot of people love it. I love it myself. But Adam is one of those parts of Skate the Infinity. I'm kind of like, yeah, he exists for a thematic reason. It's not very comfortable to talk about for him, but I can still enjoy the show nonetheless. Mm-hmm. Isabel, I want to hear your thoughts on it because I know you have seen the show. So, <laughs> Oh yeah, I agree. Um, Adam at first was a character. I was like, this guy is a little too much. As, yeah. You know, so, as you can tell from everyone else who has probably watched it, later on, you know, his character development is kind of nice, but, like, it doesn't really kind of uh, excuse his behavior uh, towards everyone else. And um, so I know people that do like him, but it's kind of, like, just, I guess, kind of his outward personality. Like, a lot of people I like I think so, him, too. Right? So, yeah. Mm-hmm. I definitely think so, too, that a lot of fans that do like Adam is just for his personality. I mean, people will draw him in, like, compromising positions with uh, Tado, I think, is his manservant. But other than that, I don't think anybody, like, fully supports their relationship because they're looking at that. They're like, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, from, yeah, from what Adam is sort of a portrayal of the depraved homosexual, which is a it's an actual trope name i did not make this up i'm not saying it to be mean it's an actual trope name called the the depraved so homosexual and it's exactly as everything the way that adam reacts they're flamboyant they're um flashy and dramatic they are interested in younger boys and they are very touchy-feely and don't know like sort of boundaries and stuff like that and they're often used as villains and so i think there is 
I think now that, you know, the overall view towards the Pride community has slowly started to change, people tend to like characters who are that sort of confident and flamboyant. So there is a part that's like kind of embracing towards that outward showiness and stuff like that. But I think that they also tend to forget about the historical context of the trope where that that trope was created very much to show how quote-unquote dirty and wrong and everything that that people thought of, you know, the community was back then. And so the uh, so it's like, in a way, it's like, okay, he's an antagonist, so I guess, like, that's good when it's, you know, when there's clearly, like, when there's clearly good portrayals of the LGBTQ community in... Uh, skate but at the same time was it completely necessary probably not so yeah (laughs) yeah i would say like the adam portrayal could have been toned down about half maybe (laughs) and then maybe i would have been a bit more comfortable skate the infinity is kind of reaching that point where i'm kind of like semi not enjoying the show but still enjoying the show so it teeters a bit further out than compared to ranking of kings for me okay interesting yeah no i think skate i think picking adam is a very interesting choice because in a way he is a fan favorite but a lot of the things you said have been issues that jack has had with the character as well so and and absolutely i mean so yeah Yeah, I mean, like, have you heard the English dub for Adam? Like, the ADR script is amazing enough that you feel even more repulsed than listening to the Japanese oh version. Oh my gosh, but you can tell the honest. voice actor was just having a ball. <laughs> so. He was having a blast because he's like, I'm going to make this guy the dirtiest, filthiest, most repulsive motherfucker I can. <laughs> and he really nailed it. <laughs> uh, all right, well. He's sleazy. For oh a yes, for sure. I I almost feel like the dub kind of nails it in a little harder too. But I, that's my personal Absolutely. opinion. Uh, but yeah. All right. Well, thank you for sharing those two picks for anime you liked with problematic elements. I think there's definitely going to be people out there listening who absolutely agree with you. And obviously, having seen Ranking of Kings, I absolutely agree with you on that side of things. So, yeah, um, we have ranted more than enough times. So, <laughs> um, so that being said, it is now on my turn. So my first pick for an anime that I ultimately enjoyed a lot, but there was one particular arc that gave me problems was Kageki Shoujo. It's about the, oh my gosh, I can never pronounce the name correctly. Agnes, you might need to help me. It's like that traveling performance group by women. Um, uh, I was about to say Revy Starlight. Maybe what Hold on, Taraka, uh, hold on, Review Tarakazuka Review. Hold on. Yeah, see, I can't pronounce it. <laughs> I have to, like, look it up because I get... I also get a little bit confused. But yes, the I think it's Tarakazu Review. Tarakazu is, is the name of it. Yeah, see, I can't I just I just can't pronounce oh. it. I'm I'm just I Oh, I'm sorry. It's Takara Zuka. Takarazuka. Takara Takara Zuka. Takara Zuka Review. Yeah, see, I, I told you, I look at it and my brain kind of goes in circles. You, you can say Review. I, th- I think we understand. Okay, what great. You mean so, by that yeah, it, it's Review. Video. It's basically a, um, you know, a performance group of all women who play also both the male and the female characters, and they often are portrayed in romantic relationships. And 
interestingly enough, in Japan, this is one of the few um, groups of, you know, sort of performance where people kind of expect there to be lesbian relationships. And so, like, it's not surprising in that sense if one of the actors are, um, if one of the actors are, like, in a relationship with another woman or is bisexual, et cetera, et cetera. So, anyway, the anime is called Kageki Shoujo. And essentially, it's about a school that specifically, it's a performance school that specifically prepares you for that, for review. And it follows these girls in like their first year in that school. And there's a lot of great things about that show for sure. Um, I really liked its portrayal of an eating disorder, which sounds weird because obviously eating disorders are terrible, but I think its raw look is very harsh and I do, um, and I do enjoy how there are there were people who noticed that something was wrong and were really really trying to help her. There were other there was they talked about how they showed how like you know the a uh, sort of hierarchy in those kind of schools is absolutely brutal, and your simpies can get away with a lot of things if um, if they're well liked and stuff because of that hierarchical status and. There was another character's arc about, like, a failed love story that was so beautiful. It, like, hung heavy on my mind, and it, like, I just, like, even now when I think back to it, I'm, like, sad that they didn't work out, but at the same time, I understand the beauty of it not working out. So there's a lot of great things, but unfortunately, they really, really messed it up for actually the main character of all people. <laughs> so uh, oh. Narata, she is a former idol. And basically, she joined this group because she has a traumatic past where um, her mom's ex-boyfriend did something to her that I'm not going to say, but you can assume based on what I'm insinuating. And essentially, the um, Essentially, that made her very scared of men and not wanting to interact with men. And so she originally became an idol because she was like, I will only work with women in that case. It's women managers. It's like women costume designers. It's like women girls in her group, which is true. But then she forgot about the fact that, you know, the majority of idol fans are men. And so she ended up quitting her idol group and she, um, you know, enrolled in this school to instead be in a performance group where she's also only working with women. And at the same time, the majority of the fans and the people watching are women. And her arc has like a stalker situation where this guy like starts following her and it scares her so much and stuff like that. But then the arc reveals that he's just one of her ex-idol fans who felt bad that he made her uncomfortable. So he wanted to come over and apologize to her. And um, and he just felt really bad and stuff like that. And it just and the arc ended with her like, oh, like she can move past from her past now. And like, you know, and like not all men are bad, et cetera, et cetera. But here's my big issue with this whole thing. He literally followed her when she moved cities. It does not matter whether he came here to apologize or came here to do something more insidious. You do not follow people that way. And also, the way he followed her to that other city when she went to that, uh, when she went enrolled in that school is he someone like took a picture online and posted it. 
And literally using that picture and like sort of the references in the photograph, he deduced it via maps and to figure out which city she went to and then went there and then continuously stalked her all for the sake of trying to quote unquote apologize to her. That is effing terrifying. I really don't care what. And there were a lot of people who tried to defend him on like Facebook when I posted about it. And they're like, you know, he just wanted to apologize. There's nothing wrong about that. Yes, there is something wrong about that. You are stalking someone. Stalking someone, regardless of the reason why, is wrong, whether you like it or not. And even the way he went about it is really, really creepy. And her arc resolves when she, like, runs away angrily at one point, and then she started getting harassed by these, like, other guys who saw her and know who she is. And then, um, and then they couldn't find her. And then the stalker guy was like, wait, I know that, you know, I know that area from, you know, that photograph that the person posted online that they saw her at. Let me, like, go on Google. So basically he used his stalker skills to get her rescue. And that still sounds pretty reprehensible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, honest. exactly. That's really yes, shady. Yes, exactly. And ultimately the whole thing resolved with him, like, not being that bad. And I'm like, no, 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 no. No, and it really sucks because as you can see I'm getting riled up now because there's because everything else about that show I really enjoyed is just that one single arc. I was like, why would you write something like this? And I mean, ladies, like would you feel comfortable if a guy followed you to another city just to apologize? <laughs> Hell, f- no, I'd kick him in the balls and get a restraining order. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Well, but, you know, as restraining orders don't really exist in Japan, so she couldn't really do that. So I do feel bad for her. Yes, exactly. And they also and they also made it sound like it was her fault for assuming the worst about him, too. And it's just like I just I like, yeah. And I'm like, I'm sorry, but your attempts to feel better about yourself does not allow you to cross boundaries for another person especially a teenage girl when you're an adult man. So yeah, I forgot to mention that part too. So <laughs> That's pretty disgusting. I will want to remind fans too that people who are defending him saying like, oh, he just wants to say apologize and stuff like that. Do you also realize that's basically the epitome of doxing somebody online? They are literally taking all online information of this person, not even coding, to, but literally pinpointing exactly their location using a combination of technology and your whatever smartness that you have to literally stalk this person. That's basically doxing. Oh, that's a that good point. point. He not, basically knows where she lives now. That's the equivalent of somebody hacking into your computer and figuring out exactly where your IP address is and where your coordinates are on a Google map. That is terrifying do not do this to anybody yeah that's honestly a great way to put it yeah it's no matter what you're trying to do you are wrong to do it give people their privacy do not follow them to another city and expect you to be the good guy like no you're not exactly and you know like there are instances of online stories where people coincidentally come face to face and they will apologize and that situation i think is Better only in the sense that, you know, you're not stalking the person, but there is an interaction that happens. Um, Or you could just message them if they don't block you already at that point. But even then, like, it's their choice if they want to forgive you or not. I feel like for for a show like that, they should have had the ending where at least, like, she doesn't forgive him for what he did to her. 
Oh yeah, no, I agree. But maybe recognize the fact that he fi- he understood his guilt and apologized at least. It, you know what really made it worse for me is on top of all that, her like quote unquote best friend or like they're not best friends yet, but they were on their way to becoming best friend, her roommate. She was all like, you need to, she like this other woman was going or this other girl was like, you need to understand like he's just a stalker, just a stalker, by the way, that is actual subs. I'm, I'm quoting like he's just a stalker. Like he's not actually a bad person. Like you need to understand that. And I'm like, girl, she does not need to understand any of that. And so, <laughs> what 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 constitutes as a bad person then if you're not a stalker? Right? <laughs> yeah, like, like I don't understand that. That's a, that's a really bullshit logic right there. It was terrible. It was terrible, and is it was so upsetting because, like I said, everything else about Kageki Shoujo was really good. I someone on Twitter even asked me and they're like, this is really upsetting for me. I would not want to watch a story about this, but I want to like watch the rest of it. And they're like, will this disrupt anything if I like skip this arc? And thankfully, because the arcs are character focused. So it's it's like even though Narata is still the main character, she does kind of take a backseat even as like the story continues, even though she's still very much involved in a lot of things. And so uh, you can skip that arc and watch the rest of Kageki Shoujo. Nothing will get disrupted along the way. Just know that, you know, she was once an ex-idol. That's really all you have to know. But it, it's like, I'm just like, it was so unnecessary. And I'm like, clearly this, I'm like, this author knows what they're writing and they're very capable of writing really good things. So I don't understand why that part was put in and why that was the resolution. So Yep. <laughs> well, you know, it's that whole Japanese push for redemption arc for even their worst of villains. That is true. So. That is true. Uh, yeah, so that is my first pick. My second pick is a pretty popular anime, I would say, but I still really love it. Um, it's Violet Evergarden. And I really only have one problematic issue with it as well. And it's kind of similar to what you were talking about with Ranking of Kings, where it happened at the end. I... Okay. wasn't too pleased with the way that Violet Evergarden ended in the movie because, wait, well, first of all, have you both seen it? I saw a lot of the discontent from episode 11, like screenshots. Oh, okay. When people were, like, talking about it. I don't know the specifics of what happened in that episode 11, but I don't intend on finishing it anyway, so I don't mind. Okay, uh, what about you, Isabel? Yeah. I haven't seen Violet Evergarden. I will see it. I have not. Um, but even if you spoil it, I'm fine with okay, it. Okay, <laughs> I feel like you would really enjoy it, Isabel, just as a whole. Uh, but actually, it's mm-hmm. not the series itself I have an issue with, but the continuation of it and ultimately the last movie that rounded everything about. Oh, okay. So the okay, series okay. I genuinely loved. It's actually one of my favorite anime I've ever seen. It's it's very it fits me, you know, in my type of stories really well. But essentially, um, to give some context, is the Violet Evergarden the main character? She was a child soldier who got discovered during like the middle of a war, and she got handed off to like a major who took care of her and took her under her wing, and so. Her story starts when, like, after a battle, the Major got severely wounded, and then she blacked out. And when she woke up, the Major was nowhere to be seen, and, you know, people told her that the Major was, or one of the family relatives of his, of him, his name is Gilbert, uh, told him, told her that he was dead, and later she even met, like, the older brother of Gilbert, and the older brother also said, like, his younger brother is dead and stuff. But in the movies, it gets revealed that he is actually alive. He survived. But 
the issue that really comes in is it ends with the two getting together. And unfortunately, and I, I need you guys to hold on to this. She was 13 when she got discovered and taken under Gilbert's wing. And Gilbert was in his 30s. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. Ooh, can of worms. Yeah. So the thing is, I liked the series because the series did not hint of anything romantic going on between them. In fact, he acts very older brotherly slash parental towards her. He, you know, he was teaching her things because she's a child soldier. So there's a lot of stuff she doesn't know. So he was teaching her like these are kinds of food and there's different colors and, you know, there's festivals and other stuff in life outside of war and battles. And so and he does like the whole thing does jumpstart when he said that he loves her. But, you know, love, there's many different types of love, as we know. And especially as the series continued and she and the the focus of this anime series itself is her understanding love. The anime shows all different kinds of love. They showed sibling love. They showed, you know, a love for your passion, you know, for your um, for your dreams. They showed romantic love and they also showed um they showed tragic love as well. They and familial love. The the series itself was focused on the theme and core of love and exactly what defines it. And the answer is a lot of things define it. And so I thought that was perfect because he said something that she didn't really understand as a child soldier. And now she's discovering all these different things related to it. So it is not at all like hinting in the series from the very beginning that it was some kind of romantic love. And then on top of that, when you see all the flashbacks, he's so like parental and fatherly towards her you're like okay they're a family it's like a father-daughter sort of relationship and especially when you find out how young she was and how old he was but then the movie ended the series with the two getting together romantically and i was like "Mm, (laughs) that's just not it guys like that's that's not how you should go about it so um I the thing is, I know that in the original source materials, it was actually kind of obvious since the very beginning that it was he was talking about romantic love towards her when he said that he loved her. But the way that the anime, the anime series, um, Kyoto Animation is one of those few studios who are not shy when adapting stories to change um, from to diverge from the original source material. So the anime series definitely diverged from the original light novel series in many, many ways. And so, so the way that it diverged, I totally thought that they were just going to go the more like parental route was all it is. But instead they ended up kind of going back to what the original source material was like at the end. And I just didn't think that was right. And you know, my issue with these sort of age gap stories in the first place already, much less one that was like a 30 plus, probably 35 is my guess, a 30 plus year old man that, you know, took a 13 year old girl under his wing sort of thing. So yeah, that is my issue with Violet Evergarden. Ultimately a series I still love very much. So, <laughs> Yeah, the theme between those two characters, at least it, it sounds to me that they're, it's harder, especially when it goes, you know, past the series or as the series, series progresses. So do you think a lot of other people would think have the same thoughts as you as they continue to watch the show? Or is it kind of like, you know, did it come off as very minor or just like something you notice? 
I think it is a thought that people have had towards um towards the show. I so I know the way that it ended. It was actually pretty split in regards to whether people liked it or not. Some people genuinely liked it, and then there was someone else who made a tweet that went viral that was like, "I don't know, guys. I just feel like having the guy who took you under your uh, who took you under his wing and then practically raised you and taught you about life be the one that gets together with you and marry you isn't quite right." <laughs> and so, <laughs> you know what that's called, folks? It's called grooming. Yeah, and that yeah. becomes. <laughs> A very gray line to tell. <laughs> Please try not to do that. Um, and then, uh, uh, but then there were other people who loved it because I saw a quote retweet of that tweet that was like, "Just say you didn't understand Violet Evergarden," and I was like, "I don't think that person's wrong." <laughs> My friend, you're making a very bold statement by saying that. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, <laughs> it's like, yeah, I think. So, answer your question, Isabel. I think there are people, I think it was split. I think there were half people who still were holding on to the original source material and were like, oh my gosh, they're going to get together eventually. They're going to reunite. It's going to be beautiful. And then other people were like, oh, I think it changed from the series. And I think um, I think it changed from the series. And I liked where it went. I think it makes a lot of sense when I think about it, like with age and context and stuff like that. I have to confess to you guys, so please don't laugh at me on this, but with Violet Evergarden, at the very beginning, I was actually kind of into the ship, and that was because I didn't fully realize how young she was when he met her. I won't laugh because I also agree with that. It's because Kyoto Animation's design for the characters don't make you think that there's a big yes, age gap. Yes, yes, thank you. And the second thing is that it's very common to think that Gilbert is somewhere in maybe his mid-20s or maybe even younger because of military draft yes, age requirements. Yes. So it's very easy to kind of paint this off. And especially because in the first flashback scene that you see of, of Violet Evergarden just charging and tearing through the battlefield like Wonder Woman, she is looks... 16 to 18 which is a very common age for soldiers especially men during the drafting period men will actually lie about their age just so that they can get into the military and fight for the cause of their country and gilbert looks nothing older than 20 he actually looks like maybe mid-20s or even slightly younger and considering his position in the military at least like ranking wise he's not like a general who would have years and years of experience and it would show but he seemed like kind of like mid-tier almost, in ranking. So that could also be acquired through a handful of years of experience on the battlefield, too, if not through officership school, too. So that's a little bit of history, background, and context as to why our brains might look at Violet Evergarden from the first couple scenes and think, oh, you know, they're eligible age, and, you know, it's not too sketch. Well, thank you for making me feel better. (laughs) You're welcome, because I also feel the same way. So I don't disagree with you on that fact, because I was kind of blind. Yeah, no, (laughs) I I was as well. And it wasn't until like they showed how they first met and it was like, oh, how old are you? And she was like 13. And then he was like, oh, like, you know, I'm like, you know, this or like his older brother is that old. And he's definitely not that much younger than his older brother. I was like, Oh, wait, 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 hang on. (laughs) Yeah, but anyway, I was really disappointed that they ended it that way. I felt like 
the way that the series did not make it so ultimately or so obviously romantic was actually the right route to go. That was different from the light novel series, but it is what it is, and I still do love the series. So, yeah. All right, that is it. Isabel, you haven't really talked much yet, so I am ready to hear what you have to say. You know, what are two anime that you really like that had problematic elements in it? <laughs> yeah, so the first one I have is actually uh, Beastars. I personally really like that series, but the only thing I couldn't wrap my mind around, and I think it's kind of throughout at least the first season, um, I was, I couldn't wrap my head around t trying to understand the difference between how the carnivores and herbivores were kind of uh, portrayed, because um, some people would say like there's discussions about this where it's kind of a metaphor for racism right, in our society, right. but mm -hmm. I feel like it's a hard thing to do because. The way that's depicted in Beast Stars is that, you know, carnivores kind of are, they're stronger than obviously the herbivores. They have this instinct, instinct to kill them and eat them, right? Mm -hmm. And that's the whole story that, you know, that's underlying everything else that's happening in Beast Stars itself. Um, but I feel like that's not exactly how racism works. It's not something I, I'm starting to hear what you're having issue with. Yeah, continue. Right? <laughs> It's like you're the, you know, this is the way that you're born and this is how it is. You know, everyone technically should be equal. Um, so I have a problem with, you know, people, you know, trying to put it as kind of like a comparison, direct comparison between the anime itself and society. And also just for me to kind of, because I see them, they're not really animals in the sense of the way that they are in the world because they're, you know, they're going to school. And they have relationships, like everything you would do, like if they if they weren't depicted that way. So, yeah, it's just a thing that I just couldn't wrap my hand head around, or you know, I accepted it for what it is. Like you know, uh, Lakosi has this desire, you know, to eat Haru, but you know he doesn't want to, and um, is this constant struggle with him within himself. Um, so I find it hard. Like if maybe if the series didn't have that kind of um, I guess still, like the instincts that the animals have still, you know, it would be pretty much a completely different show, I would say. But uh, I think it might help in terms of trying to de depict it in a different type of world, or maybe it could have just been uh, something totally different, like um, other shows that we've seen. But Beastars definitely does, you know, does a good job in, in targeting a more mature audience with its themes. Um, I really, you know, I really like the characters overall, um, and then also how their personality themselves and how they work on themselves. Um, especially, like we see, he's not a particular protagonist that you would see in other series. Um, but just, yeah, the way that he, he's depicted, or like the things that he has to do, or he, he struggles with internally, is not exactly something that we would struggle with as humans. Um, so that's the only thing that I had. I don't know if you guys had similar thoughts when watching the show, or um if that even occurred to you at all mm -hmm. i didn't think about it to be completely honest but let, let me see if i understand what you're trying to say it's um because yes there's obviously sort of a parallel a metaphor of like the animal society with our human society and you know with actual like species having different traits and stuff there is an inherent anti-carnivore situation 
in a very in a way that really reminds us of how racism can be like in the human world. But your issue with that is that the carnivores quite literally have teeth that can rip out, you know, throats and, mm-hmm. you know, um, size difference that can just like cr- like crush like smaller animals and stuff like that, which isn't really a correct parallel to humans because you know the whole issue with racism is the fact that you think certain groups of people are more likely to crush you and to quote unquote rip out your throat but ultimately it's not true because they are exactly the same they're humans they just look different and maybe say different things like have different language and stuff like that but that's not so it's not really a one-on-one situation going on between Beastars world and the human world and the fact that a lot of people are using it as sort of a metaphor or um, a parallel to human uh, the racism in human society is troubling for you is that correct right that's correct yeah that's basically what I'm trying to say okay great great I I just wanted to make extra sure was all because I I I thought that was really important Uh, yeah so I I have to be honest I actually never even thought about it that way so but you know when you started to say it out loud I was like oh oh I see what you're saying and oh I I see the issue with that now that you're saying it and so it's it's, so you've brought something new to me a new perspective that I wasn't expecting at all yeah (laughs) what about you Agnes have you seen Beastars I have seen Beastars um and I've also watched uh similar shows that have the same theme like Zootopia and I can definitely see why these themes are presented the show is kind of harmful in a way with the way that people are interpreting it and i kind of don't i kind of agree with them in that sense um and that's about it really i don't have much to go off of actually from this topic because i'm still kind of confused with the topic if i'm completely honest i'm confused about where our stance is for this oh topic. um well i guess isabel didn't like it yeah. so <laughs> that's her stance no it's basically yeah <laughs> It's still confusing to me as it is, um, and it's something that you know I can't really you know put be able to tell in terms of like where exactly is that like it's something that kind of bothers me mm-hmm. you know when I watch it and oh mm-hmm. I see uh, still on the topic of you enjoyed Beastars yeah. and its characters right okay I pretty much like Sorry, everything else I about Beastars my... I have a hard time understanding why that is or like why people would do this type of thing or what it's trying to represent really mm-hmm. oh I see. Yeah, the the representation's a bit kind of in your face at that point, and you're just kind of like, it's a little bit of a touchy topic. Um, I think because when while you were talking, I kind of went down a rabbit hole of trying to think to myself, like, why would they have a show like this? Why would they try to, you know, equate humans to animals? What are they trying to say? And then I kind of went into a historical um, rabbit hole of when uh, when there was a very perverted period of science discovery and anthropology it's not really anthropology it's more like scientific uh, um discovery of trying to categorize like savages versus like oh that's whites yeah that was definitely a time yeah why yeah why there were like why certain like native people or indigenous people have certain traits and were considered barbaric versus like white people they're more refined they have bigger brains etc etc so i think from that point on i kind of confused myself because i thought started kind of like associating like oh maybe that's the reason why that kind of basis of like carnivores versus herbivores is sort of in the same light of human society in that sense where 
in these ethnographic studies, uh, these so-called white scientists would consider black people as ferocious. There would be uh, black people being the most common, um, the common place of study, unfortunately, in these um, in this uh, scientific study at the time, considered to be savages, considered to be barbaric. They have sharp teeth. They're bigger and stronger than can kill you. So they're like the equivalent of the carnivores. Although I do realize that because I went down this rabbit hole, there are a lot of things that don't make sense. Like, for instance, the white people are definitely not herbivores in this context. <laughs> so that so victimizing, oh, I mean, victimizing white people is uh, a very prevalent, uh, perverted ideology now these days. But, you know, it doesn't quite add up. So I can see why there's a, a bit of a confusion of like, why would you want to present this type of scenario that's relating to society when in reality, it's not quite there. It's more so kind of like a fictionalized setting specifically mm-hmm. for these anthropomorphical creatures. I, what that, I do want to note that I do understand why Zootopia did it because uh, learning it via through cute animal characters is something that, you know, as a whole is easier for children to digest. Uh, yes, so that that's true. So I'm like, so I think Zootopia is actually a very tasteful example because it is specifically marketed towards kids. It kind of reminds me of Mouse, which is a um, which is a graphic not or a picture book really of about the Holocaust by a actual Jewish survivor from the Holocaust and he drew as you know the Jewish people being mice and the uh, Nazis being cats and it was a very very watered down but like animal um, cute animal way of describing something terrible that happened in the past for kids to slowly learn and understand so I think Zootopia definitely falls into that of using cute animals to um, explain something that is very hard to explain in society. That's something that is something that we have to continue to work on, per se. But Beastars is definitely not aimed towards children. So they take it um, the way that the art and the way that the story is written is a lot more serious. So I can see why you are kind of concerned and didn't quite like those parts of the implications of the story. So, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, that's my first pick. So my second one, it's definitely, uh, more lighthearted and it's really just one scene. Kind okay. Of. <laughs> um, it's from my love story and <laughs> it's that funny scene where Takeo takes the plastic wrap and attends. Oh! <laughs> okay. So why did you like it? <laughs> okay. One, it was hilarious because I was laughing my butt off when I saw that scene. Uh, I thought it was great, but I also had an inkling in the back of my head that, like, I was like, did Takeo ask Makoto if it's okay? Oh! <laughs> not gone! <laughs> okay. Hello? Um, if it's, yeah, even though it's between two boys, but I'm still like, if my friend were doing that to me, I would not like it. <laughs> That's warranted, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I do appreciate how funny it was, but I also think it's just um, something that I didn't think that I didn't think of this through beforehand. But like, if you really think about it and you were in that situation, yeah, I would I would at least hope that he would have asked. And, you know, maybe Makoto could have done something like, oh, I don't really want to. Or even if he said something like, eh, maybe, I mean, I know you need help, but not really, you know, I don't know. Um, I think it would be even funnier to pull it off if Makoto, because he's someone who never has dated anybody, mm-hmm. would also kind of be like, I wonder how it feels like to kiss somebody else, right? I kind of like as a parallel because Makoto 
is only there to support his best friend's relationship. And so in parallel with Takeo, who's just like, I need you to pretend that you are Yamato's, I can practice kissing. <laughs> it, it kind of becomes like semi-consensual because they're both curious about it and wanting to help Takeo with experimenting. Um, but yeah, I definitely do remember watching that scene to Isabel and laughing at the thing to myself, hmm, is this okay too? And I, this was when I was much younger too. I didn't understand what the word non-consensual meant at the time, but I definitely felt like that weird inkling in my gut, like, uh, is this okay? Yeah. I don't know if this is okay. <laughs> I'm yeah, like trying to so. imagine if like my girlfriends are, you know, with me and they're like, oh, let me practice kissing on you. And I would definitely be like, no, I'm not doing it with you sort of thing. I think it's like even that, imagining it, I feel like there is a part of me that would be really uncomfortable if they tried to like push me for it, even if after I said no and I can tell they're not joking, you know, because it's another thing. If they're like, <laughs> yeah, if they're totally joking, you know, they're not serious. So you can just dramatically be like, no, that's like, I don't want to try that with you. Like, why? You know, la la. But um, but if he's like totally serious, which I know that he was <laughs> when he tried it. Yeah, I think I yeah. would be really uncomfortable. <laughs> so I see what you're saying about that scene. Uh, guys, life is so complicated <laughs> because it is really funny. But <laughs> Now, now I have to like look at it a little differently. So, <laughs> good choice though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, the rest of the series is so wholesome and so ha like you know happy. I truly enjoy it. So there's just little scenes that I think like I don't know maybe it's out of context, but yeah. If it was there, maybe I would have felt a little bit better about it, or would you know Agnes and I wouldn't have had this little inkling questioning whether it was okay. I, or not, I think so. I think that inkling is right. I don't think it's wrong. So. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty then. Well, I think that sums up our episode for this week. So thank you everyone for listening. I hope you guys enjoyed listening to us describe and explain why we still like these anime, even though there are certain problematic elements in it that we weren't so happy about. There will not be an episode next week because we will be at Anime Expo in LA. And so we will be very, very busy and will not have time to record the episode and release the episode. That much is certain. So I hope you will be patient and wait for us for an additional week. And yeah, we'll be back with another really fun topic. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye.